right. Welcome to the Armchair Commanders podcast. I'm John. And I'm Jack. And today we are reviewing the 2004 film, The Alamo. What movie did we watch? I literally just, I just said it. Sorry, I already forgot it. Oh, yeah, that's, you're real <laughs> I I gotta take credit for my mom on that one. I told her what I was doing Friday. I'm like, oh, I'm watching a movie for the podcast. 2004 is the Alamo. Legit looking confusion on her end. The what? <laughs> and then I was like, you know, the, a- oh, wait a minute. <laughs> oh, good job, Deborah. Yeah. And then she made a, there's no basement in the Alamo joke. <laughs> you know there's actually uh i think it came out within the last year or two a pretty popular book it's actually called forget the alamo and it's uh the whole premise of it is kind of dismantling all of the the mythos around it i haven't read it yet but i've heard it's gotten fairly decent reviews but one of these days i'll i'll get around to it i have a stack of shit that i still haven't read that i still need to get to so hmm i bet that movie uh, i bet that book was talked about a lot in the south yeah i'm sure there was a lot of mixed opinions about it because from what i remember is uh that book did not um give a very favorable reception to the overall story of the alamo and the uh texas revolution so I'm sure there's a lot of people who are like, this is fantastic. And I'm sure there's an equal and or greater amount that are like, how dare you tear apart our heritage? My heritage. Yep, I know exactly the type you're talking about. So, what'd you think? (sighs) That was a movie. Like... That's a a common... uh... Yeah, I, I know I say that a lot, but this felt just exactly that like um a mid movie from the 2000s was there uh what would you say i guess i'm trying to rephrase my my common question for you which is what scene stuck out to you the most but uh what what about this film hit home for you or like what was like damn this was this is good there was a part that i was gonna ask you about it asked if it was historically accurate because you obviously know more about this than i do <clears throat> but i can't for the life of me remember what that was it might have been that <laughs> it might have been that scene where the that mexican nurse lady kisses that sick dude and it like transitions the sick weirdly. dude you know what the one I'm talking about, the guy that's like sweating on the bed for most of the battle and they like give him two loaded pistols to kill Jim Bowie. One of Jim the, Bowie. One of that's the, right. the key characters in this entire movie whose name is said probably over three dozen times and you can't you just remember him as the dude who is sweating. Yeah, that's literally all I remember him as. And I don't know if that's because I don't pay attention, but I don't know, like be, a lot of critics be, agree agreed with me on it, it it just seemed forgettable when it shouldn't have been <laughs> to be fair um 
usually Jim Bowie is represented as having this super involved and heroic death. And this particular film shows a little bit more of an accurate version of him. So, so when this battle happened, Jim Bowie was legitimately on his deathbed because they think it was, he had, uh, oh, what, what the fuck was it? Consumption. Tuberculosis. Yeah, that's it. I could only remember the old timey word for it. Um, so even the idea of him being given a loaded pistol and firing it as the door like flings open is even stretching it a little bit because there's there's some people who argue that he probably was dead even before the battle started um it's a little details are a little sparse um believe it or not not everybody at the alamo died um i mean all the military age fighting males died but there's several you know we we see it in the film but you know there are family members of the the defenders there are slaves of the of the defenders who survived the battle who are able to give an account after the fact but obviously because they're they weren't participating in the combat you know their their recollections still going to be a little muddied well um that's that scene where he first comes to the Alamo and he was like, Oh yeah, I'm glad to be here. Oh, Davy Crockett's with us. We can't lose. And he's like, wait, I thought the fighting was over. Wasn't it? And everything gets really awkward. And then the scene ends. Yeah. I, <laughs> the thing I, so here's the thing is I, I actually wanted to spend a lot. Uh, I had a whole, thing devoted to wanting to talk about Davy Crockett and this thing. Um, that one line kind of sat with me wrong. And granted, I don't know to what degree he thought the the conflict was still involved. But like at the time that he's the, the real Davy Crockett is showing up in Texas. Um, it's it's far from like a done and over matter. So I I'd have a hard time believing he would be under the impression he's showing up as everything's all like you know tidied up wrapped in a bow like where's my land deal because you know that's that's one of the first things we see in the opening scenes is if you come and serve in the militia you get 600 some acres of land of your choosing which did bring a lot of people out there but the the thing that i think gets overlooked is the Texian army, I think, was like two, three thousand guys, maybe, during the entire conflict. And and mind you, the Texas Revolution was like six or seven months long. Um, but of the like two or three thousand guys who served in the Texian army, I think the number is something like only a couple of hundred of them actually migrated to Texas right before or during the conflict because of that deal like a good chunk of the texian army was made up of the tejano people or people who had immigrated to the area of texas like many years prior so i mean it's a, it's a small and unimportant little detail in this respect but i like i said i think david crockett was probably 
he may not have known he was walking into a death trap, but I don't think he was under the impression that he was going to get out without any kind of fighting. Man, <clears throat> like he was a well-known celebrity at this point. They, like he's a household name for being in frontiersman and a cowboy. There were a oh, bunch yeah. of tales oh, about yeah. him. He was a he was a super well-known and super famous guy. And the thing is, is, you know, Davy Crockett, he truly does have a very interesting life story. Um, you know, at the, the age of 12, his family uh, turned him into an indentured servant in order to pay off some family debts, which for listeners who are not super in the, the know of that kind of system indentured servitude is essentially slavery but with extra steps and like mind you in Dirch, as a white guy who's serving as an indentured servant he's obviously getting treated much better than an african slave is at this time in history but you know he's still a child who is forced to to work and doesn't have freedoms. So I, I think that's a, an interesting starting point for this, this guy in his life. But, you know, he, you know, we, we see it mentioned that he's a, he's a congressman before going to the Alamo. And, you know, when he gets to the Alamo, he gives a speech. He's like, to hell with Tennessee. I'm going to Texas. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> fuck yeah, Texas. <laughs> but the the reason why he went to Texas is because he lost his his reelection for uh, being a congressman or a senator for Tennessee. And the reason he lost that election is at this time, uh, Andrew Jackson is going through the process of doing the Indian Removal Act, Trail of Tears, and all that stuff, like. Ooh. yeah real rough time for a lot of people in this time of Ooh. american history and uh the reason that davy crockett lost his election or people prescribe his loss to the election is he was a super vocal um advocate for the the native populations like he was super against the the indian removal act and uh that didn't really play well with his constituents in tennessee so off to texas he went a little history on davy crockett and that oh god that story he told them towards the end of the movie for, to uh yeah like when he him and his men were starving and they huddled all the members of a tribe into one cabin and burned it down and then when they searched it the next day they found a bunch of potatoes in the cellar and the boiling grease from the Indians seeped through the floorboards and onto the potatoes, cooking the potatoes. And then, they, and then he said they ate them all. <laughs> and if you pass me the potatoes, I'll pass them right back. Gallows humor. Oh, and I was just sitting there like, Jesus Christ. Well, that's the thing is, uh, I think that Billy Bob Thornton, I think he did a stellar job taking on this role as uh, Davy Crockett. Um, and I think 
I think that little monologue of his is actually probably one of the best moments in this entire movie because you know you you have this character who we see it everybody's like you're david crockett you can leap rivers and take down bears um and he he you know he puts on his public face and he's like you know you see him try to play it off a bit he's like no that was that feller on stage um but even the little little bit of pressure and he kind of caves and he'll let people think what they want because you know he he understands that even though he knows that the legend is kind of bullshit he knows that a lot of people rely on it in a way or you know it's it's a big part of their their day-to-day life in the situation um so when we when we get all these kind of like big over the top you know we see it when um you know i think another great scene is uh the scene where santa anna is ordering his troops to move the artillery closer to the fort and one of the soldiers is like davy crockett's in there he 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 can (laughs) shoot anything (laughs) and you know santa anna is like move the motherfucking cannon and then you know davy crockett shoots the epaulet off of him and he's like wind kicked up yeah <laughs> i remember like, that's that another... scene i i really doubt that happened or did it i i i don't think it did um but it, <laughs> it's say. a great scene but you have you have a guy who he's got a legend built around himself and he does to a degree live up to it and kind of plays into it but the scene where he's talking about this super vulnerable moment in his life about you know he participated in something terrible and it still haunts him to this day like it's a super it's a super real performance and i like i felt genuine emotion when he was giving that that monologue and it's i think that's one of the downfalls to this movie is that there are other characters you know there are big name characters in this you know we have um sam houston portrayed in this by dennis quaid we have uh travis who is played by patrick wilson um we have jim Bowie in this movie santa anna we have all these characters who are super big names who have such really like they have such complex stories to their lives that it feels like everybody else we kind of just get surface level with them um you know take take jim Bowie for example he was a piece of shit i don't know if you knew that but i mean i kind of had an inkling yeah like in this movie we get the we get the he's not that great of a guy because you know there's that scene where his his slave is like, "Are you giving me my paper?" And he's like, "No, you're mine till the day I die." And yeah, that was that's a, hmm. that that's about the worst thing he says or does in this movie. Um, the real life Jim Bowie, he was so the the slave trade at this time super super complex and lots of variables and little it it's a very interesting topic in history to explore but at this time 
importing slaves was illegal for American ships. Like it wasn't illegal for ships under different nations flags to import slaves, but American ships could not import slaves to the United States. That was a federal law at the time. What year was the cutoff for that? Cause I have heard of that. Uh, that got enacted during Washington's, uh, presidency actually. Yeah. I remember it was like the early 1800s where they ceased all, <clears throat> ceased all slave trade on the middle passage. I mean, obviously there's the, you know, there was workarounds and Jim Bowie yeah. was one of the guys that found this workaround. So he worked in the slave smuggling trade. And at this time, if you provided the government with information that led to the capture of an illegal slave ship, you would get half of the value of what the slaves would have brought at market just as a straight like payout to you. So what this dude would do is he would arrange for a slave ship to come in. He would then tattle on it. It would get seized. He would get his payout. These slaves would then go to auction because the government's got to recoup its money. And then he would buy the slaves that he was importing anyways and essentially get them at half price and then resell them for full price. Jesus Christ. Like, yeah. He was a shitty human being. <laughs> and the most we get to elaborate that he was like, like a not so great dude in the slave trade is he has a, we, we see a slave in this film and he's like, you're mine till the day I die. And it's like, come on. Like, but that, that's what I mean is that's why I love Billy Bob Thorne's portrayal of Davy Crockett in this film is because this is Davy Crockett in this film is like, the only character we see of like a true like we're getting an expanded view of him as a person and there's so many interesting individuals in this movie that they could have done this with yeah <clears throat> there's a lot of historical liberties like for instance nobody exactly knows how bowie died but not bowie damn it crockett died and the whole spectacle of him being brought out in front of everybody and dramatically bayoneted to death while he screamed. That is a theory, but the most commonly accepted one is he was just unceremoniously shot during the battle and they found him the next day. But um, they're, they're yeah, also... I think, I think the only one that people know for certain is the way that Travis's death was portrayed, which is early on the battle, he took, he took a shot to the head. Um, and that's something we do see in this movie. So at least there's that. Was it a kit or was it a scared Mexican soul kids, like frantically loading the rifle and accidentally shooting him in the face? No, it, <laughs> it was, it, don't, if I remember correctly, he was just like on a parapet during the scene. And then you see him just like do the dramatic, like falling over thing. Also the speaking of just dramatically falling over the um, Bowie's scene where it's revealed that he's chronically ill. He's just talking with Billy Bob Thornton and then just falls on his face. <laughs> and I, and I just was thinking, Oh, it, 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 I guess he's sick now. I mean, we do get a little bit of the like him coughing and whatnot, but the the sickness seems to be kind of a a sudden shoehorned issue. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, Mexican army's here. Oh, 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 I I can't. I'm too sick. Oh, I I really wish I could help you guys, but I just oh, yeah. Take that, Bowie apologists. Do you know anything about the the reaction to this movie in Texas? I think I think the Texas reaction was fairly popular. What I the one thing I did look into, I was um the the production of this movie has quite the the interesting tale so i don't know if you did any research about the production or the just overall reception mm. uh but this thing was a, a box office bomb i did see something about that yeah it was like a it was like a hundred million dollar budget and it brought in 25 Ooh, but you know kind of going into our our conversation we had last week about wind talkers you know immediately post 9 11 we had a, a lot of america fuck yeah type movies mm -hmm. and this movie it originally started getting talked about or kind of being brought up shortly after saving private ryan was made which obviously was in the 90s and it just it had this super troubled history of getting off the ground um originally the director was supposed to be ron howard and um just disagreements with execs and studios he's like peace out and then <clears throat> we no longer have ron howard directing the alamo and the other part of it too was originally the cast we see here was not who they they had in mind um Russell Crowe and Mel Gibson were actually uh, thought of as being like front runners for starring in this film. Yeah, Mel Gibson. <laughs> Imagine Mel Gibson giving the uh, sell our lives dearly speech. <laughs> we uh, shall think of that as Texas. So I pulled up some info about this movie and a really bizarre example of this despite the topic of the film while there was a lot of con <laughs> while there was you good oh i i uh was trying to get into the the theme of the movie and i took a shot of tequila oh <laughs> good on you what are what are you drinking tonight pacifico thank god you said something relevant i was i was a hundred percent ready to, to pull that like the key and peel sketch from substitute teachers like if one of you say some silly ass name <laughs> you say some silly ass beer but no i actually got with the program you don't have to fire me just yet Thank you. Thank you for, for doing something a little a little more specific. That, that and I ran out of Bud Light. But um, what, a tra what a tragedy. Anyway, there was a lot of controversy both in the Mexico in oh in Mexico and the US, with the obvious exception of Texas, about the two thousand four version. Since the whole topic about the war is considered taboo in both countries, the two thousand four Four version took many pains in depicting the Mexicans in a more positive light in an attempt to avoid the movie being banned there. And then there's a note 
Oddly enough, the John Wayne version was never banned there, despite showing the conflict solely from the Texan perspective. It also helps a lot the fact that previous to the 2004 version, Davy Crockett was normally considered in Mexico as a fictitious character created by Disney from previous films depicting him and not a real-life man who died in the Alamo. (laughs) that That last bit seems like a them problem. To the grade, many Mexican history books tend to downplay his role in the historical battle and pinning almost all the blame on Samuel Houston and the rest of his men, maybe because maybe because no one is going to believe he really existed. The fact Santa Ana is considered as one of the most hated presidents in Mexico had due to his role in the war. So wait, am I understanding it correctly? Are, are they saying that Davy Crockett exists because of Sam Houston, or are they saying that the Texan Revolution existed because of Sam Houston? They, they're blaming Sam Houston for the war, it sounds okay. like. Okay. Time the fuck out. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. I, I know I'm about to, to trample, on, trample on some toes here. Um, I'm going to preface this with... Yes, I understand different points of view. We get different oral traditions passed down on both sides. There's their side, there's our side. Truth is in the middle. But the, here's the huge but. The lead up to the Texas War of Independence was not a spur of the moment deal. You really have to go back kind of a ways for where this all starts. And it's it, it truly starts when Mexico gets their independence and becomes their own country and separates from Spain. Um, and during this time, they have the large territories of Texas and California as a, as a part of their as their empire, country, whatever you want to label it. Um, and they actually they set up a constitution um and i don't i don't know exactly what the the government style was but i i know there was like an actual voting system in place and one of the original beefs that texas had was the fact that they only had like one seat in the the legislature or whatever it is they decided to to call their version of a legislature so that was kind of the start of it. And then Texas Texas originally started off as having a super small population of Tejano people. I think it was like five, six, 7,000 people. And where we get a bunch of US immigrants coming in is Mexico made it super easy for people to get Mexican citizenship and actually encouraged immigration because that was an increased tax revenue for them was the influx of people moving into these sparsely um, sparsely populated areas. Now, obviously there, there's a bit of conflict here because you have a lot of people immigrated from the South of the United States where slavery was still a thing. When Mexico created their constitution, they abolished slavery and uh, when U.S. residents from the South moved into Texas and the California region. They just were like, we're just ignoring that role. So 
I, there's that conflict there. But there comes a point where Santa Ana gets into power and, you know, he's often, you know, he's famous for calling himself the Napoleon of the West, but he, he really was. Like, when Santa Ana came to power, he tossed out the Constitution and essentially is like, I am emperor now, not in that exact words, but in in spirit. He's like, I am generalissimo dictator now. And that's where we get the, the super downhill slide of Texas being like, all right, fuck this. Like, so there was, there was decades of buildup to this. It wasn't Sam Houston came in and is like, you know what? Texas should be its own thing. Like it, th- there was a lot of conflict being brought up on both sides that, that led to, to this particular moment. Also, if, if Sam Houston was truly responsible for the Texian revolution, then like, how do they explain the, the bear flag revolt in California that happened like five or 10 years later, independent of it. So, which also Santa Ana had to, to deal with and, and, and lost California because he wasn't actually that great of a general, but but um, getting back to what you said earlier about the, I'm sorry, I'm sorry about my rant. That no, was... you're good. Um, the a favorite a favorite scene of mine had to have been that towards the end after the climax, as oddly as that is, but that one general that dude who boogied earlier in the film, what was his name? Mm. That the general that kept going east and the pissed off his soldiers until he explained why. Sam Houston. Oh, that was yeah, yeah, duh. But Dennis Quaid. Dennis Quaid. Yeah, that's right. He was he led the army. But (laughs) I'm no Wellington, but he is Napoleon. Yep, that's what I was gonna say. Like I really loved that line. Like he fancies himself the Napoleon of the West, but I ain't no Duke. No, I ain't no Duke of Wellington. But he fancies himself the Napoleon of the West, and then he just did what the Duke of Wellington did and waited to pounce on Napoleon. No, yeah, I I thought uh, Dennis Quaid's portrayal of Sam Houston was was really good. I thought he did well in that role. I will say, though, that final battle kind of seemed shoehorned into the movie. Yeah, because it needed like, a happy ending. Yeah, it's like the Alamo and then one, one battle and then hurrah, Texas! Yeah, we had to we had to sneak in at the end that we did eventually win, I guess. Post 9/11 America. You know, I think one of the biggest ways that this film fails is you know, I I went on my rant earlier about the lead up to the the Texas War of Independence and what we get at the beginning of this film is like one or two title cards that really does not do the whole thing justice and i think i think you could get away with not giving all the context of the history leading up to this conflict if we did a better job of portraying santa Anna. because i don't like what did you think of santa Anna and the way he was portrayed in this film like when when you saw his portrayal what was your thoughts of him as like a person so I don't doubt that he was a massive piece of shit, 
but to a certain extent what does it stop like when does it start being just straight propaganda because it really did feel like they were giving him a lot of kick the dog moments right well i think the the like real layup scene for trying to show that he's a shitty person is you know after a dinner party with his generals he he goes to bed and we we see like a very obviously unwilling girl laying in bed like and he like creepily closes the doors behind him and it's like oh he's a pervert <laughs> um yeah um a lot of moments like that i think you know there's that i i think you need the scenes of him being like the no mercy um to to show his his view of like trying to put down this rebellion but i think imagine if this film imagine if like the front half of this film was everything from like his perspective and we just see him and like imagine getting a full deep dive of him and then the point of view flips once we get to the alamo and then we switch to the defenders i think i think if we if santa anna is more accurately understood then i think the the power of the the battle of the alamo is more significant at that point man i just can't put my finger on why this movie was so forgettable like you heard you heard me earlier like really stretching to remember the name of bowie bowie whatever (laughs) that's wild that david bowie was at this battle you know i was waiting for uh some ghosts and some conjuring stuff to occur the second i saw uh patrick wilson on the screen (laughs) like man they're really stretching for ideas for this uh series yeah. Just imagine, just imagine a scene where, in the middle of the battle, Travis draws like a pentagram on the ground, and some fucking <laughs> demon attacks the Mexican troops. It has that like one line that all alternate history media has, like it's the history they don't want you to know, or the secret history of the Alamo, like a two yeah, a.m. History it, Channel special. It's that or it's like the the failed Spike show that never got off the ground. It's like, what if the Nazis won World War II? What if Daniel Bowie had fought? (laughs) Been a little bitch. God. I I will say I greatly appreciated uh, the one scene where Santa Ana yells out, Piratas! (laughs) Yeah, the acting from that guy was just delightfully hammy i i kept thinking of uh different like king of the hill quotes during this entire movie i was like where's the scene where we see santa anna's leg get stolen also uh who is that black guy that initially fought in the battle and then his master got killed then he went back to hide and was practicing the i'm black don't shoot line in spanish I forgot his name, but he's he's based on an actual person who was there. Um, in this film, he's the the slave of Travis. But yeah, w- one of the slaves is actually where we get our accounts of the battle from. So huh. it's, I think that was a that's another kind of underappreciated scene is when the two slaves are are digging the well together. Yeah, like, hey, and this the, is kind of the, bullshit. 
yeah, the older slave is like, hey, as soon as they start shooting, you don't owe anybody anything. And the younger guy's like, but he's going to give me a gun. He's like, the fuck he is. <laughs> oh, man. What did you what did you think of the the set of this film, though? I've never personally been there. Have you? I I have not. I've been to Texas many times. Um, <clears throat> the the only thing about this film that I can say I, I related to is that Texas does have some some pretty beautiful sunsets, and uh, the 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 sunset scenes in this movie really kind of. I feel like the sunsets make you understand why dying for Texas makes sense a lot more than the people actually talking. Like when Travis gives his, we will sell our lives dearly speech. I'm like, I'm supposed to come up with my own re like, you never gave me a reason why Texas is worth fighting for. <laughs> you, <laughs> because we you say so. You, you essentially said, just come up with something you really like in your mind. And then just imagine that's Texas. And it's like, hold up. <laughs> But no, like the, the the sunset scenes in this movie, really, I'm like, you know what? If I could see being inspired to defend a fort to the death for, for that beautiful sunset. But the thing mm -hmm. I really appreciate, there's a couple of things about this. I, I think it's obvious that I enjoyed this film. But another one of the things that I appreciated about this film was the the set and how much attention to producing the fort and the town they put in yeah and the other part too is the i feel like we get an accurate size representation in this this battle and i think that's lost in a lot of pre-world war ii movies where we have you know flintlock or percussion rifle battles where it's like line formations and stuff like that because this battle is 200 people versus like 4,000. And when I watch this movie, I'm like, you know what? That I'm like, it 200 people seems like it's right, or as to what I'm seeing on screen. And you can obviously tell that the defenders are outnumbered, but Santa Ana's army doesn't look ridiculously huge either. It's, it's not like take like 300, for example where the 300, the 300 Spartans looks like 20 dudes, and then the million Persians looks like 10 million. Yeah. Yeah, it was beautiful set pieces. I like the cinematography in most of those sunset scenes, especially that part where he, <clears throat> they were playing the uh, slit throat song, dig, whatever. But he decided... Dahuelo. But he just decides to join them one night on his fiddle. It was a very beautiful scene. It reminded, it reminded me of this one story in World War One, where the Germans came up with a song to demoralize the Brit, the British about how much Britain sucks to live and how crap even Ireland it was. And then eventually, event, sucks. <laughs> eventually the English joined them in singing how much it sucks. Well, if you can't beat them. Which I've always thought that was like the most beautiful way of dealing with that. <laughs> Something trying to demoralize you is joining in. Well, I think it's uh, it kind of touches on one of those tropes that we see in movies of, you know, uh, 
another popular story or scene that gets told in film is uh like in band of brothers where they're in the battle of the bulge and you hear the germans from across the the forest singing silent night in their own language um i really appreciate scenes that take the time to to humanize both sides of a conflict at the the base level yeah but the the davy crockett fiddle scene just another feather in the cap for billy bob thorne in this film oh yes absolutely i i don't know if i should be ashamed to say this but i i have the, I looked up the movie soundtrack and I have that once the the duet of Duguelo um, with Crockett playing his fiddle and it's now number one on my Spotify playlist. <laughs> it's it's a bop. But uh, that begs the inevitable question. Did that actually actually happen? I don't I don't think there's any recorded accounts of it happening, but far from i i know i've i've talked with a bit of authority this particular episode but i also am am not an expert and and please for for anybody who finds something wrong with what i'm saying please point it out so i can i can learn and take me down a notch also i'm pretty sure i saw a couple of soldiers shoot twice from the same musket without reloading that kind of bothered me what if it was a double-barreled shotgun? Oh, well, shit, you got me there. <clears throat> if Do you remember the scene uh, where they first kind of probe the Alamo's defenses and uh, they go to burn the huts and uh, there's a Mexican soldier who, like, pops out of the hut to shoot Davy Crockett and the musket just, like, blows up in his face? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like what was he doing was he just there to ambush them in, on the off chance they do come out yeah i i don't know that or maybe he tried hiding in the middle of the battle because he's like fuck this but um yeah i i don't know so you know we talked a little bit about the the reception of this film and i was I was reading some articles and one of the things that I came across, I found very interesting. So this film was released in 2004. Um, obviously we're a couple years removed from nine 11 by this point, not everybody is super stoked on Iraq, but do you know what else is happening in 2004? Um, boy bands everywhere. Yeah, I mean, there's that scourge. Frosted but... tip. <laughs> the uh, the Numa Bush Numa. carry, the the Bush carry election is happening. Oh right. <laughs> so one of the proposed theories for why this film didn't perform so well is it got released during an election year where a Texas president was uh, waning in popularity. And I wonder what you you think about that theory. Hmm. I I don't think so. There had there has to be another because 2004 was stacked for releases. 
and there were a lot of big name movies then had to have been anchorman yes anchorman that had to have been the um main competitor but i think there's some truth to that maybe that did dissuade some people it seems like it was a a minute late on the post 9-11 uh america fuck yeah train (laughs) i i think another thing that didn't help it is uh did you see what the mpaa or mpp motion picture whatever the the people that give the arbitrary ratings to films um do you know that so this is actually a, a disney produced film shocking i know um but disney pushed hard for this film to have a pg-13 rating when and that was one of the reasons why a lot of the 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 people who were originally involved in the project left was because they wanted it to be a hard r to kind of be along the lines of a saving private ryan type intensity and i i can't help but wonder what film we we missed with their their pushing for the pg-13 that is a good question maybe more blood maybe uh buoy coughs up like in oregon or something yep definitely maybe we maybe we hear some texan from the 1830s refer to a slave by their derogatory name that they most definitely used who who it seemed it, it really seems disingenuous for people to be portrayed as slave owners and to never once say the n-word like come on yeah it's like it's like i said i get it it kind of takes away from the the hero image that they're trying to portray for these guys but these guys weren't perfect and it, it goes back to my my thesis from earlier that's that's what makes davy crocus portrayal in this film so good is that at no point are like we don't get the pg-13 version of davy crockett like we we get his we get the skeletons in his closet you know yeah and then we get the story about the uh, the potatoes i just passed them right back (laughs) yeah whether that's a true story he was just telling that to fuck with them we'll never know so what did you think of uh, the battle scene, the the actual attack on the fort scene? It's weird. It's weird how close they were able to get before being heard or seen. Like security was that shitty where two thousand Mexicans can get the drop on you. Well, I mean they had been continuously shelled for the better part of two weeks. I, I imagine they're probably exhausted by that point i mean yeah the fact that they were able to go from like dead asleep to just awaken fighting man i can barely adrenaline. get moving in the morning adrenaline's a hell of a thing have you ever had a you ever had one of those moments when you're driving around and you you get into like a super close miss like a car accident or something and your heart just like 
drops into your stomach and you are just like immediately a hundred percent like alert and just like scared shitless like i get that but i also get jelly legs yeah adrenaline adrenaline's a a heck of a of a thingamajigger yes it is never ever rely on it but when you need it trying to think about what else to talk about in this movie like were there any historical inaccuracies that jumped out at you or i i i aired mine with no one really knows how bowie damn it crockett died (laughs) um yeah i mean there is inaccuracies with this but i think that has more to do with them working with a, a time constraint for the film i mean and I mean, there's obviously the the inaccuracies we've we've already discussed. I think I think one point that I felt was a little I didn't know how to feel about it was uh you remember the scene of the the God what was his name I don't remember the dude who left on horseback to deliver the message to Houston saying hey the animal is about to fall we need troops and houston's like you get to stay here and he's like no i don't get to die (laughs) well at the end of the movie there's that little title card where says he returned to the alamo and buried his brothers it no he didn't um after the battle of the alamo uh the mexican forces took all the bodies defenders and their own troops and made these giant funeral pyres there's like three or four of these giant funeral pyres of just like hundreds of bodies each uh and they they sent them up because they they weren't going to take the time or the energy to bury i i think the the total dead count after this battle is like six or seven hundred people um so it, it was it was an economical thing they're like we gotta dispose of these bodies but we can't bury all of them um so they they all got burnt and if you go to san antonio today um and go to the alamo the only thing that remains of the alamo is the uh the mission building itself um they have the the outline of the wall uh marked out on the street but it's it's literally like in downtown now in in the middle of an urban sprawl very very different from what we see in the film but across the street is a a building that has a giant sarcophagus that purports to have the ashes of the alamo defenders um which maybe it does maybe it doesn't um Mm. not not a real way to 100 percent confirm that that particular fact but that's that's what they they say just like there's a spot on the the actual alamo mission that's pockmarked with bullets and the people who are for the theory that davy crockett was executed after the battle say that that's the spot where he was executed but again that's you, you can't prove it yeah there's a lot of contentiousness around this what would you what would you say or like what 
you know, the, the Alamo is definitely sold and in popular culture has always been presented as a, a Texas story and as like an American hero story. But what would you think, like, what would you want out of a, a Mexico point of view Alamo movie? Like, imagine Texas War of Independence film, but from Mexico point of view. Well, I'd love that first off. Um, second off, maybe more situated on the soldiers, you know, like their point of view, like they probably got drafted, pulled to go some battle in a <clears throat> place they don't give a shit about. And But hell, there are some that volunteered, so maybe a volunteer to play the foil. But you know, you get what I'm saying, right? Um uh story about the soldiers not necessarily the leaders yeah i would like to see how the average mexican citizen thought of this battle as it happened like when they received news of it mm -hmm. i mean it probably got played up as like a as a, a good like a big victory like santa Ana crushes forces at this fort And I can't imagine they took kindly to soldiers using a place of worship as a fort. I think that that's one of the points they talk on early in the film where they're like, yeah, it started off as a fort, but over like the past 40 years, it, or it started off as a mission, but over the past 40 years, it's changed hands between this, this place and this place and this place. And before the Texans, it was like a, a Mexican cavalry unit who used it as a fort. So I, even though it was originally intended to be a mission, I don't think it ever truly served that purpose. Gotcha. Which speaking of the mission, remember the scene where the one dude is telling Travis, he's like, here's this saint who is the patron saint of inspirational speeches. Like, he, he gives two different saints' names. He's like, here's this saint and this saint. He's the patron saint of inspirational speeches. And then he never elaborates on who the other dude is. It's like... Yeah, that bothered me. <laughs> it's like, is the other guy not a cool guy? Or is he just not relevant to the story? Like <laughs> he, he wouldn't have to be the patron saint of military soldiers making a brave final stand, would he? I don't know. There's, there's so many patron saints. I, uh... I, I, you should, you should kind of go on a, on a Wikipedia deep dive someday of patron saints, just the system of people getting sainted, but also like what their patron saints of the most random yeah, crap, what their patronage is. Um, so for our listeners, I, I do consider myself a religious individual, but I generally keep, uh, my religious views to myself. That being said, um, I, I come from a portion of religion that doesn't really acknowledge saints at all. But uh, even just over the past couple of years, I've I've latched on to like two or three of them because I'm like, oh, they're relevant to me and they fall within sort of my religious beliefs. So on my water bottle, I have St. Michael, who is the... Uh, I have two stickers on my water bottles, St. Michael and St. Florian, who is the uh, patron saint for uh, 
St. Michael's for military and law enforcement and St. Florian's the patron saint for firefighters. And there's a third guy for Freemasons at St. John, but that's why do you like him? (laughs) No reason. Jack. (laughs) I just looked it up and the saint that I like is the St. Lawrence. Who's what's his patronage cooking and comedians. Oh, that's fun. Here's the thing. I, there, there is a, there is a patron saint for everybody. So I highly recommend, you know, even if you're not a, a religious person, just, just find the, the patron saint who's most attuned to your, your lifestyle, career, what, what, what have you. It's, it's a fun little trip. Well, as I was going to say, the reason he got that is because he was being executed and he was like put over what was essentially a big grill to be cooked alive. And, Jesus. As he, and as he was burning on the grill, he yelled to the people holding him captive, turn me over. I'm done on this side. And <clears throat> that's why that's how he became the patron saint of cooks and comedians. You know, I always would like, I think everybody has it in their minds that if they're presented the opportunity to have a brave death, that, they would take it and like they'd have some sort of witty thing to say kind of like uh the davy crockett scene where he's like i'm a screamer yeah (laughs) but when i watch that scene i'm like oh that's a badass moment but also i'm putting myself myself in his shoes and i'm like something tells me i would probably beg for my life yeah i don't want to get poked (laughs) but also you know in a uh one of those I'm definitely dying situations. It's what card do you want to play? I'm just saying I, I'd like to think I'd play the brave card, but probably not. Yeah, always leave them laughing. That's my motto. It's a it's a great motto to have. Yeah. God willing, I'll never use it, but <laughs> I think it'd be you nice. Make, may you make me laugh, Aww. sweetheart? It's the one thing I wake up every day to do. Make you laugh. Make me laugh. You know, something I, I realized, uh, so I took a, a vacation down to Mexico a couple weeks ago. And uh, one of the days, you know, we went to one of those all-inclusive paid resorts. And one of the days we left the resort and uh, went to Chichen Itza, which is uh, one of the like the ruined sites where uh, the, like the big pyramid is. And as, as we're driving there, um, you know, us being the, the typical white people, we, we hired a driver to take us there in a, in a private, private vehicle. Cause you know, we're bougie like that. Mm-hmm. It actually wasn't that expensive, but it, you know, it was nice. Anyways, our, our driver, he's like, so what do you know about Mexico history? I'm like, uh, not a whole lot <laughs> <laughs> and nothing was i was like i could i i could talk about mexico stuff in regards to anything that involved the u.s <laughs> but then again i <laughs> i'm going to have the u.s perspective on it 
and honestly the only the only reason i know anything about like the texas war of independence or anything like that is because i as a kid i grew up in california so they they beat to death into us the uh mexican-american war and the bear flag revolt and everything that led up to that so if i what was what was your knowledge or education about this like before the movie probably the americanized version of oh chest pumping hero america but i mean like when you were in middle school and high school did they other than saying that the alamo happened did they really go into the mexican-american war or any of the conflicts leading up to it they spent more time on the alamo itself than any of the war yeah i think that's the kind of the big pitfall about the alamo story is that the alamo story overshadows the entire conflict really definitely but history's wit history is written by the victors never liked that phrase yeah especially in today's uh environment where you know going back to the opening of our show we're we're starting to get literature and material of you know debunking the stuff that was written by said victors so it's an it's an interesting time in in history to be studying because a lot of things that were taken as fact are are getting overturned so here's my pitch go history degree it won't do anything for you it won't make you any money (laughs) (laughs) i case in point me i make zero dollars off of my history degree so so far i i paid a lot of money in order to justify a hobby (laughs) like that's that's about that's about all the all my history degree has done for me so far as I get to say I have a history degree and then I can go on a tangent for 20 minutes about something and people will be like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then <laughs> they walk away because they don't want to talk to me anymore. Ouch. You know, if if anything, I, I'm a realist. Or I, I think I am. <laughs> but listeners, if, if you do like my tangents, please, please let us know on our instagram and facebook page and or leave a review for us of what you think about my tangents if you hate them i'll curtail them a little bit and let jack do more jokes and i I do apologize jack i feel like i kind of bogarted this particular episode no no you're fine you know more about this than i do and it's your show it is not my show it is our show (laughs) it's like a 80 20 deal we have going on okay who is let's be honest here who is signing on to to listen to me talk for an hour to an hour and a half like random it's it's me (laughs) it is me rambling for 20 minutes you make a smart joke people laugh at your joke and then they tune out for the next 20 minutes till you say another joke see i'm the comedic relief or something well Seeing as I I bogarted this episode, maybe we can flip roles. I'll I'll be the smartass next week, and you can be the 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 ranter and raver. The DP, I'm dumb as shit. You're not dumb as shit. You're smarter than you give yourself credit for. Oh no, don't do that. It'll feed my ego. Go ahead. Did you Did you have any other thoughts? 
Not really. The battle scene was cool and all. But yeah, like you said, that ending, albeit a bit satisfying, was definitely shoehorned in and rushed. They didn't even say the name of the battle. San Jacinto, San Jacinto. Yeah, San Jacinto, I think it was. Because I looked that up afterwards because I was curious. I will say seeing uh, Davy Crockett's violin get trampled brought a tear to my eye. <laughs> I I had a connection with that as well. It's it's a small detail, but it's a good one. You know, it's one of those things where it's you think today it's like that would be in a museum, but in that environment, it's like oh, it's just a war trophy and it gets destroyed. Oh well. I think it's uh, it's time for us to rate this. Do you want to pull up Rotten Tomatoes? All right. The Alamo. Was the, was the good old thermometer have for us? Well, nothing promising. It's 29% on the thermometer and a 45% audience rating. So a bit. So that... That brings it to like a 35-ish? Something like that. But so why don't why don't why don't you tell me whether or not you agree with it and then we'll come up with our, our custom rating that we forgot to do last week. Uh, you first. <sighs> so as I as I stated, I I enjoyed this film. I do recognize the problems in it, and there's a lot of things that could have been done better. I think if we had gotten the R-rated version of this movie, it it really could have been spectacular. I also I also think if it had been made a few years earlier and there was a couple of different casting decisions, we would be looking at an infinitely better movie. But you get what you get. Yep. So I I disagree. I disagree with the rating. I think this is more than a 35-ish movie on the thermometer. Oh, yeah? I'd, I think around 50, 55% personally. It was I mean, it was no down periscope. <laughs> but then no. again who can down be? periscope down periscope it was not so <laughs> that's really on, our on citizen it, kane isn't it it might as well be we should get a if we actually ever get enough listeners we should get a, <laughs> a t-shirt made up that just says kick this pig <laughs> the two crabs and they're duking it out um better yet just just the image of two crabs and underneath it, it says duking it out I'm trying to think. Okay. How about on a on a scale of 1 to 10 violins? <laughs> 1 to 10 crushed violins. I'll give it a 5 or a 6 crushed violins. I, I, I really can't put my finger on it, but this movie was a little bit forgetful for me. And the historical liberties they took, kind of the... Hollywoodization. I shouldn't be surprised, really. I'm going to give this seven crushed violins and um, 
just the strings on top. So like, <laughs> like, like seven and an eighth of a, a crushed violin. All right. <laughs> All right. Which I gotta say that feels a lot more wholesome than our uh, tattooed penis rating. I mean, I'm just upset we never got to see it. You know, it's, you can't talk about that and not show it. So I, I'd have to rate it lower. How do you turn a PG-13 comedy into an NC-17 comedy? <laughs> Kelsey Grammer's dick. Just whip it out. That's my life motto. Actually, no, it's not. When in I, doubt, I would whip like it to out. Expressly, I would like to expressly say that is not my life motto. I do not live by that standard, and I do not approve of anybody who does. End statement. <laughs> <laughs> Don't at me protect your ass i get it oh so this was this was my choice what do we have on the docket for next week hmm you know i'm looking sorry to keep you in suspense that's okay i know i just had one the greatest beer run ever the greatest beer run ever yep 20 it came out last year right yep uh vietnam yep it's on my list and i want to knock it out first vietnam movie it is (laughs) do you think it's going to live up to platoon or i think it's going to surpass platoon yep bold statement and you heard it here first folks i can't wait to see what ridiculous rating system we have for it next week oh man i can't wait so as i said before check us out on facebook and instagram please leave a review the stars do matter uh just as a a quick note i've discussed it with jack but i hope everybody enjoyed our episode last week with our special guest carl i know we had a lot of fun recording that episode and it was uh, a different change of pace but uh We're going to be keeping it under the lid a little bit at the moment, but we do have uh, a couple of guests potentially in the shoot coming up here in the future. So keep an eye out for those announcements. And uh, if they all work out, I'm going to be super excited for who we have joining us. So make sure to, to keep clicking on the, uh, the episodes and not because I, I, want to get a sponsor or anything like that well i told you we'll get bud light eventually not after me shitting on them for the first three episodes oh come on they'd love to turn a critic into their best customer i have nothing against bud light the company i just think it's a subpar product well okay that's fair (sighs) i love their horses yeah the Clydesdales are iconic yeah I took a picture with them once when I was a kid really yeah cool going back to the the living on California thing I actually lived like 45 minutes for away from one of the uh Budweiser plants so every year they uh would bring the Clydesdale in and do like a car show and stuff cool the good old days yeah ah the good old days you have anything before we uh, sign off? 
No, I think I think that covers it. Well, all right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. I've been John. And I'm Jack. And we'll catch you next time. Bye.